Hey there, welcome to the Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp, and this is episode number 25. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to leave behind a legacy or to be the person who would carry on something so great? Well, today I'm talking to my friend, singer-songwriter and reggae artist Naomi Cowan, all the way from Jamaica, about how she had the courage to leave her life in Toronto to pursue the legacy that was always meant for her to live. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share real stories of influential women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, Andrea Crisp, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. It's the new year and it's time to kick your dreams into high gear. Maybe you spent a good part of last year making excuses why you can't take the step of courage needed to bring your dreams to life. Now, it's not like you lack talent or ability, but maybe you need a surge of confidence to finally break through to the next level. Let's talk about how you can move past the negative ticker tape in your mind so that you can finally walk out your purpose with confidence and intentionality. So schedule your free 30-minute strategy session with me by going to andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. We all have that friend who walks into a room and brings an energy that is unexplainable. Well, my guest today is that very woman, and she is the most kind and compassionate woman you will ever meet. She is also extremely talented in the areas of communication, media, and music. More recently, she decided to leave a successful career in Toronto to pursue her passion and legacy that has been passed from one generation to the next. As a daughter of reggae icons Tommy Cohen and Carlene Davis, She felt a strong pull towards her roots and this fall released the single, Things You Say You Love. I cannot wait for you to meet my friend, Naomi Cohen. So Naomi, I am thrilled that you are here today. And um, as we have been chatting already this morning, we've had a few connection problems. You're in Jamaica, I'm here in Toronto, but it does not matter. I am so glad you're here. I'm so thrilled that you're on the Courage Cast today. I am so thrilled to be on the Courage Cast because I love it and I love what you're doing. So thank you for having me. And I love that your Jamaican accent has returned with uh, a vengeance. <laughs> I know. I was like thinking, should I do this podcast in Toronto, Naomi or whatever? But I'll just see what happens, whatever comes out. Exactly. I may need to actually, you know, transcribe the podcast later and have people go to the show notes and then that Hilarious. Way they can understand exactly what you're saying. Oh man. But you, we were talking a few minutes ago off air about when we met and just kind of the journey of that, which has been now looking back over seven years ago. So we met in 2010. I had just moved to Toronto. I was mm-hmm. attending a church for the very first time and going to a social event and you were leaving and moving back to Jamaica and it was kind of your farewell uh, social gathering. Mm-hmm. We crossed paths. Yeah. Timmy's. Yeah. Good old Tim Hortons. It was a 24 hour Timmy's. It was like 1am. So it was kind of sketchy, but that's fine. <laughs> and it was the only place that was open around where the church was. So we tended to go there mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, but you know what? We reconnected again uh, in 2014 when you moved back to Toronto and we started attending the same church. Not the same church we had been at, but the same church for us again. And so, and that's really where we became friends. And I'm so glad that we did because I have just found your friendship so valuable and learned so much from you. And I know that people will learn a lot from you today here. Well, I hope so. I hope to share some cool stuff. <laughs> so why don't you share with us um, what you're up to? Tell us a little bit about what you're passionate about, who you're serving in this season of your life. Yeah, sure. So um, as Andrea said, you know, I'm living in Jamaica right now and uh, I moved back here to focus on two things. One, uh, my music, my, um, my family's background or rather my parents, they have a very strong background in the music industry in reggae and establishing that here in Jamaica. And as I was pursuing my musical career, but, you know, more privately, I got to a place where I realized that there was something significant about legacy and that it was important for me to flow in that. 
And so I moved back here to pursue reggae music specifically. That's one part of it. The other part of it is, um, you know, in terms of who I'm serving, you know, uh, 15 years ago, my dad launched a festival out here called Fun in the Sun. And um, what it is, is essentially a positive um, music festival that's, that serves families and people of all backgrounds. So it's a full day event from morning to evening. You know, there's lots of stuff for kids. There's, you know, things for families. And then we do a really, really high level like concert production. And so that event has grown up to where over 100,000 people come out and it's completely free. And so um, with that being part of also my, my legacy, meaning like what I'm, you know, meant to inherit in a way, I moved back home to work closely with my dad on, on um, looking at what the future of that is going to be like and how I can play a role in that and, um, you know, hopefully start to create something where he doesn't have to work as hard um, and, and, and build that out. You know, my dream would be able to see fun in the sun, you know, in a city like Toronto. Uh, we have mm. it in New York right now and in Haiti. But yeah, so I came here to help expand that. So my life right now is, is, is in the business of entertainment. One half of it is me being an entertainer as a musician, but the other half is on the production side. And so I guess you could say, I'm, I, you know, in terms of who I'm serving, I'm serving different audiences, I guess, or like a very wide audience in that way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just people overall. <laughs> now, it's just to give a little bit of background and context, can you just tell us a little bit, like, what have your parents done in the music industry in Jamaica? <laughs> what have they not done? Um, <laughs> so my mom, she is you know, a singer and a well-respected and loved person. Um, you know, my mom is currently a gospel singer, but when she started her career in music here in the 70s and 80s, she was like one of the few female voices out there. And, you know, she had an international career, traveled the entire world with reggae music. Um, my dad, he is known <laughs> um, as an everything person in music. So my dad, you know, has been a producer of several foundational reggae songs for very, uh, lots of artists. He was a manager of lots of like big names in the industry. Um, you know, he was really close to Bob Marley. He was his road manager, <clears throat> excuse me. He was Bob Marley's road manager on several tours and his marketing manager of his record label and just a good friend overall. And um, so my dad played a huge role in I would say establishing the foundation of reggae because when reggae music came to life in the seventies, it was like the rebels music in a way, because we weren't playing reggae on the radio in Jamaica. Um, they were, we were only playing American music. So, um, you know, that people see them as, as found as pioneers, as legends. I hear that word all the time. Like these, your parents are legendary. I'm like, what the, what? <laughs> or the royalty almost, you know, reggae music royalty. And, uh, so, yeah. So, now, you know, when my parents became Christians, you know, they kind of have not stopped doing what they have been doing in reggae music, but they've done it for gospel music. And so they open up the door for lots of Jamaicans to be able to enjoy reggae music with a different message, which is really cool. And as I said, you know, my dad has built this festival that has impacted so many lives. Um, and he's produced other music festivals in the past too. But this one is, is really like his, I guess, you know, his biggest legacy to date. So, yeah. It's amazing to hear what has been um, in your family and how you have been able to take that now in your mm -hmm. career and move it forward. And you have just recorded and released um, a new single, which mm -hmm. we can talk about in a second here too. But um, when you came back to Toronto not very long ago, and mm. I had a chance to see you perform it was amazing because you were actually showing video clips of your mom when she was singing probably yeah. maybe around the same age you are now mm -hmm. and you look exactly like her <laughs> yeah. and it was so crazy to see the similarities between how you moved and so the legacy that has been carried on in your family to mm -hmm. you now is just pretty incredible. So why don't you tell us about a little bit how you started back into the reggae uh, mm -hmm. music industry and, and where that's led you? Wow. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. Like just two nights ago, I performed at a very, very big concert here 
and every artist was just like freaking out like who you know this is her like reincarnated in a way yeah. well, not reincarnated because she's still alive but you know <laughs> um yeah so my journey to music is I'm still even shocked that I'm here to be honest but um I um yeah so my so I grew up not actually wanting to be a musician I've always loved music but I kind of always said you know what like I'm not gonna do music I'm not gonna do what's expected I'm going to you know, become a media personality in a way. But I always kind of kept music in my heart. So, you know, in other words, like I would write songs in private. If I was in a studio, I would record something, but then I'd always pull back. It was weird. It was like I would step out and pull back, step out and pull back. And so um, it wasn't until shortly after we met, around 2010, 2011, when I started just singing at a very small church here. And um, as I was singing at church, I started to grow as a, as a musician overall because I was hearing my voice more often. I was using it on a platform in front, in a, in front of other people in public. And, um, and what that did was, was basically cause me to grow and then also love my voice, right? Before I actually didn't know if I liked it at all. And then, um, you know, when we met in Toronto, as you know, I was, um, I was singing at our church in Toronto, in, in Toronto. And once again, like I started to develop my, I guess, even like who I was as a singer, you know, and what my heart was behind my voice. Like, why was I doing it? How was I doing it? Things like that. Um, and then, yeah, three years in after like writing a lot of stuff, working with different producers, experimenting with different sounds, I just felt this very strong voice, just say legacy you know, legacy is, 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 is the word for you. And so you need to, um, to walk in the legacy that you were born into and that would have meant reggae music. And so after that, and I, it just kind of became obvious that I needed to be here, um, to make the music, to reconnect with the people that are making the music here, you know, specifically like all of the foundational people that I think, you know, my family has worked with, my parents have worked with, and um and just tap back into that so yeah that's kind of been my journey like in a very long story short way no i i love that because i love to hear how you have progressed along and and it wasn't something that was completely on your radar no. right away and i Uh-oh. remember even having conversations with you when you were here and the different things that you were wanting to do because mm-hmm. you are talented in other areas so you're not just a musician but you mm-hmm. um are very very proficient in communicating and both speaking and television and media as well as like even doing social media and you were involved in many many projects here yeah um i think you even developed something with some students that you yeah. were yeah studio bud yeah yeah and so, I mean, there's so many things that you could do and you kind of felt compelled and called back to doing something that, although is familiar, is not familiar to you. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's so funny because, you know, one of my struggles is like knowing that other dreams and passions are still there and um, not wanting to fully drop their meaning like I mean, I can't pursue everything at one time, but kind of trusting in the process of knowing that I guess each part of me will be able to be utilized and show itself and, you know, come to life um, at the right time, you know? So yeah, with music, it's so crazy because, um, you know, sometimes I look around and I'm like, man, looking at people who I feel as though they've been going after music for so long. um, And I'm like, oh man, like I'm still so fresh to the game in a way and, and whatever. But my dad has just always encouraged me that even though you haven't been doing it for a long time, you've been listening and observing and learning for a long time. And so he said that makes you a very significant and like talent because you've learned behind the scenes and you've watched. So you're not just um, coming out because you want to do it or you're not just coming out because you think you can sing, but you've actually observed the best of the best you know? So yeah. And it it still feels very new to me. Just the whole way of doing things like me now seeing myself as a quote unquote artist. And so it's like, you know, even when you're in public spaces 
um, how to approach people or how to stand. And like, I mean, I've always been in media, which I've been an on-air person, but as a journalist or whatever, like there's still a difference between you being the public figure to you being the person who's trying to get the attention of the public figure, because that's what you do as a reporter. So um, it's still very new, but one thing I'm really grateful for is, I mean, I have been performing since I was a little girl, you know, in different ways, theater, whatever. And, and as my dad has said to me, like I have been literally learning my whole life. So when I do hit a stage, honestly, it doesn't even feel like, like that's actually one of the easiest parts of it. The mm -hmm. hardest part is the other stuff that you have to do. And like, you know, what am I putting out on social media? And like, you know, those other things are harder for me than, than it is to, to, to sing and write and perform. I just wish mm -hmm. I could just do that and focus on that. But right now there's just so much stuff I have to do for myself until, you know, I have a bigger team. Yeah. And I think probably many creatives would probably say the exact same thing mm -hmm. as you are and feeling like, okay, there's so much to be done and what do I outsource and what mm -hmm. do I need to be doing? One of the things that as you were talking about getting on the stage and the things that your dad is saying to you, it just it kind of hit me that it's possible that your life experience and some of the things that you've had to go through, which are so unique to you and maybe not every other artist in that genre are going through those things or have mm -hmm. gone through those things that you lend a new quality or something new to that, which is really awesome. Mm -hmm. What do you think your particular life experiences have taught you about mm -hmm. jumping into this space? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think definitely one of the advantages I do have, if you want to call it an advantage is, is, is the fact that like for me, um, I guess growing up, around the entertainment space and being in entertainment my whole life. Um, in Jamaica, we have this term that says, you're not frightened, like I'm going to say, it's like, you're, you're not frightened for it. So what that means is that you're not um, starstruck or you're not perturbed or you're not in awe and amazement of some of the things related to entertainment. Meaning like for me, being backstage at a venue or at a concert and seeing like, famous people or whatever doesn't really um it's not a shock to me it's nothing new to me so what that means is that when i'm in the space now as an artist i'm in it for the right reasons i'm not just in it because like oh like i want to be here like rubbing shoulders with such and such and like being seen right um because i'm really there because i'm there to to bring music to a stage and bring music to a platform so i think that's allowed me to and has, it allows me to not get caught up in things that would normally distract someone or things that would normally, you know, cause someone to, to lose their focus or lose their motive or cause their motivations to be marred or blurred by, by the wrong things. So I think that's a big, that's one of the biggest parts of it. And I think people can sense that too. In other words, like, you know, if I ran up to someone like a, let's say Sean Paul or whatever, and I'm like, Oh, Sean Paul, you're my favorite, blah, 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 blah. Compared to, hey, how's it going? Like, how's your son? Da, 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 da. It's two different ways of approaching someone. And they feel that from you, you know, like, why, why are you standing here talking to me? Is it because you want to be seen talking to me or you're just here because you really want to check up on me? So I think that's probably one of the biggest things. So even meeting certain people, being in the studio, whatever, like I'm able to discern why I'm there and bring authenticity to the space in a space where there's, of course, as you know, lots of egos, so many egos. Um, yeah, I think more than anything, that's what I've noticed. That's probably such a character building piece for you too, in the sense where you have had to learn to really navigate, um, your own ego and your own mm -hmm, confidence mm -hmm. along the way with it. And like, how did you learn that? Yeah. Well, one of my biggest challenges now, one of my biggest challenges now is is pushing myself forward because as I said, because I'm not really that person who is like, Oh, let me go like get this person. Da, 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 da. I've also recognized that in, in, in this industry, you have to own who you are. Cause if you don't like, nobody's gonna take note of it and you can't expect people to just be like, Oh, she's so talented. Listen to her voice. Right. 
Um, so balancing that has been interesting, meaning let's say I'm at an event and I see someone and it's like everyone's talking to them. But like you kind of also sometimes have to go up to someone and be like, hi, how are you? Good to see you. Whereas like in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't need to say anything. Like I'll talk to them another, another time. Right. So there's like this weird push pull I have to deal with. And even like a friend of mine who's, you know, kind of been helping me with some creative direction. Like he's the other day, he had to push me up on a stage to be like, you need to go up there because all of the other musicians are up there. You need to be up there. And he literally puts his hand on my back and pushed me up a staircase um, at like a smaller event. So in terms of navigating that, it's weird because I think a lot of my life experiences, especially the, the, the areas of my life where I felt like I failed, my ego has just literally been smashed to the ground. <laughs> Um, to the point where, you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing now because I, I, I sense that there's something in my voice that's meant to serve others. Right. Mm -hmm. But no, it's like, I have to develop some kind of not, I don't know if, if it's to say I need to have an ego, but I need to, there's, there's a part, there's a certain confidence I have to, to rediscover so that when the right time comes, I'm able to shine if that makes sense. So in other words, like I need to be able to speak up for myself, to be able to advocate for me, myself in a space. Right. So like, let's say if I'm somewhere and someone's like, Oh, I'm looking for a female singer, having that confidence to be like, I can do it, you know? So that's not egotistical, but there's, there's that advocacy that I'm redeveloping now that like I'm seeing where like there have been cool opportunities for me to step out, to just say hello to someone and be like, Hey, do you know I'm singing now? And they're like, Oh wow. I didn't know that. And that's normally what happens. So it's weird, you know, coming from a place of like having no ego to being like, okay, but I still have to advocate for me um, in, the, in, in this realm because that's just the way things work. Um, and I, it's not like I have a label or a big manager or anyone like that to do that for me. So that's been a huge, huge learning curve. Yeah, that, that does sound really huge. In fact, it reminds me, of just even thinking for myself over the years of the times where it's like, I recognize that I'm not trying to push myself into something mm -hmm. as much as I just know that I'm able to do it. Right. And the confidence that comes from having being in that place. And, and I think with probably every um, ability or gifting you have, you might even have to walk through that place and learn how to navigate it. But I know as a musician myself, like I got to that place where there was times where I'm like, okay, I'm not good enough. And then all of a sudden I kind of came into my sweet spot and it wasn't a matter of, you know, do I need to sell myself? It's like, no, I, I know I'm good enough. Exactly. And exactly. then when I became a coach there, I went through that again. And you, you go through that in cycles of different things that you do and maybe even different roles you play. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing to see that you found that confidence and, and just in who you are and also that you can, you can occupy the space that is, was always reserved for you. Yeah. Yeah. That you may not have even known like, you know, five years ago. Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden here you are occupying it because you could occupy it and be in a, in a place where it's like, okay, I feel fearful and anxious and all of these different emotions, or you can occupy it with a rest and a peace and a confidence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So it sounds like you, you're definitely occupying it with the latter. Yeah. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head with, with, um, finally, I guess, occupying the space I was meant to. Mm -hmm. um, I walked away from this concert I performed at two days ago, just feeling like, hey, I wonder if just, just even like, I don't try not to do things for the approval of people, but like the feedback I got was so authentic. And it was like, I saw joy in people's faces when they came up to me to tell me about my performance. You know, it wasn't like, you killed it, girl. You're so great. You are so great. But it was like they felt happy that I was doing that. I don't know. How to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it has a lot to do with who my parents are. And maybe it's the fact that like even what my parents were meant to bring to the world and what they did bring to the world, that they could see that carried on. Because the way people respond to them and how people love them 
I'm just like, okay, there's something special inside both of them that needs to live on. You know what I mean? So I feel like, not that I'm a gift, but I feel like my choice of doing this is bringing a, a gift to, to the music industry that people have maybe been longing for in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and not because I, you know, as I said, like the, because of the journey I took to get here, it doesn't feel like, oh, well, you guys are lucky. It's more, I'm like, whoa, all that pain kind of like, you know, is worth it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I, I, because I've, as you know, with the whole like multi-talented thing, I've just struggled through different chapters and feeling like I'm destined for so many things. And, um, walking away from that, you know, and I was just reflecting on like times when, you know, when I was like a reporter and a TV host and this and that, and like thinking to myself, like, is this why like so many doors were just not open? And is this why that, that, that side of my life, like never came to the fruition of like the, the size of the magnitude I thought it was supposed to, you know what I mean? Like, it's quite interesting thinking about that, that whole concept of the space you're meant to occupy mm-hmm. because, um, when I, when I, I'm not going to lie, when I'm, when I do sing, I, ne- I feel more like myself than at any other time when I'm singing and I'm like with a crowd of people singing for them and interacting with them. I had that feeling. It was 2014. I actually got to perform on my dad's festival, Fun in the Sun. And, um, you know, I did about two, three songs. And I remember, so it was right after I moved back here. Let me move back to Toronto, right? So I felt really, sh- I felt so shocked, Andrea, because I came off the stage and I thought to myself, holy crap. <laughs> I was like, because my only experience before that was just at church. And this was a huge stage. There was already 5,000 people in the venue, right? And um, I remember thinking to myself, I've never felt more like myself than I did just now. How can I make this a part of my life for the rest of my life? Mm. You know? And I was feeling so conflicted because I thought to myself, okay, I just moved back to the city of Toronto. I'm about to start a master's program. You know, I I moved back here because I wanted to be in a bigger space for more opportunities in media. You know, that was kind of my intention in moving back to Toronto. I just wanted to be in a bigger space because I just felt like Jamaica felt too small. And, um, and then on top of that, like, I just felt like I wasn't fitting in here with what was accepted for girls in the media. So I was like, I need to be back to Toronto. Toronto loves me. You know, (laughs) I just got to get back. So when I had that music moment, July, 2014, after I moved back to Toronto in May, 2014, I was just like, I have no clue how this is all going to work out, but let's see, you know? And I guess all of that brought me back here. Yeah. And it, it just, you know, as you're saying that I, I can imagine how many people resonate with what you're saying mm-hmm. in the sense of feeling like I've done something and I thought that that was it. I thought that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have these feelings like, okay, was I wrong? Like, mm-hmm. was I completely off, <laughs> you know, like off right. course? And mm-hmm. I, and sometimes I wonder like if that isn't off at all, it's timing. I think so. I do think so because you know what I do to kind of remind myself that like I don't need to regret how things have progressed is I think back to who I was as a child, you know, um, and there when I was young um, and I, I encourage people to do this as well. I, I'm always like, listen, think about the things that you what was your default when you were a kid? Like, what did you do when you had free time? you know, which is every, all the time, but yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> your perceived free time outside of cartoons. Cause that was a, that was a, that was like work, you know, you had to watch cartoons. Um, but what, what I did, I always did one of a few things when I was a kid, I was looking, I would, I would be looking in a mirror, holding a brush as though it was a microphone and I would actually report to myself. Right. So I would be looking in the mirror, like, hi, I'm Naomi Cohen and you're watching blah, blah, blah you know, or I would be singing. So I was always like looking into a mirror, looking into a mirror, um, doing those things. Or if I was preparing a meal of some sort, um, I would pretend like I was on a cooking show, right? I'm, I'm, I'm by a meal. It's like Pop-Tarts. I don't know. Like, and, and then, um, 
or I, if I had family friends, if I, this was a little bit of a hustle. So if my parents had friends over and I knew they were having guests, I would tell my neighbors, I'm like, okay, you know, um, we're having people over. We need to put together a show so we can get money. So I would, <laughs> we would, yeah, I would choreograph either like dances or sing like song dance or fashion shows so I could collect cash so I could buy um, Jamaican beef patties the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I knew that all of those things encompassed who I was supposed to be. Um, so I don't feel bad about like, oh, was I off key with the music, with uh, the media stuff? Because what happened with me is that I had so many fears around music that when I was coming, to, coming close to going to college, I chose media because it just kind of, it was more feasible in my mind. I could see an end goal like, oh, you go to college to study media production and then you get a job at the TV channel and blah, 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 right? And you can still get the same exposure that you would supposedly as you do with music because you still have an audience, right? So what it did was pursuing media only kind of suppressed my fears associated with music. And as I said, like, I think also growing up in the music industry, I saw the behind the scenes and I saw that, oh my gosh, it's not all glitz and glamour. There are times when you're like, holy crap, like we're not making any money for like months, right? I saw that struggle and it didn't, it didn't interest me. I'm not going to lie. I was like, nope, I can educate myself in other areas and, and do just as well and like still be happy as a performer. I'll still be able to be creative in media if I push hard to, to make this Naomi personality come alive. So that was also that. There's a lot of fears in that. There's fears in thinking my voice wasn't good enough. You know, like, so basically the, the, the voice of fear suppressed my musical voice for a very, very, very long time until I couldn't not do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And I remember the conversation that we had, and I, I think it actually was, uh, what started it was a text and then into a conversation about, Andrea, I'm moving back to Jamaica. Oh, and, yeah. And I remember that and you kind of following that path and that mm -hmm. journey back home and into, because we'd had a lot of conversations. Yes, yes. Prior to that and just kind of watching your journey now. When you think about like things in your life that you are probably the most willing to fight for, mm -hmm. what would you say that would be? Mm hmm. Yeah. Most willing to fight for, I think, um, and I don't, I don't know if this makes sense, but I, I'm definitely most willing to fight for joy. You know, um, when I see like a lack of hope and apathy, whether it's in myself or in others around me, there's just something that rises up inside of me where I'm like, no, this can't, this can't go like this, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, um, like one of my closest friends who's also, you know, someone that you're very close to, her name is Francesca. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll just tell this story quickly. I remember getting to know her and being on her couch and realizing that she was um, practically a full-time dance teacher. And at the same time, she was... Um, what you would call like a local host of foreign students. And what that meant is that she had students living at her house uh, in her apartment and she would cook, prepare three meals for them for, per day, do their laundry, um, clean their rooms and bathrooms and everything. And then of course, like they paid her a fee. So it's a good way to make money, right? Yeah. Um, so she was a, a host for foreign students, made money from that. She was teaching dance. She was, she was helping out at our church with kids stuff, doing a lot of stuff, but her dream was to be an actress. So I'm like, so when do you find time to audition? I'm like, first of all, are you not tired? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what the heck? I, I mean, I remember being like, you're joking, right? Um, and she was just like, well, this kind of makes sense for me to pay rent. And I'm like, yeah, but yeah, you need to make room for your gift. I was like, when do you get to audition? Like when? You know, I'm like, when are you going to go to classes? Like the life of an actor is like ridiculous. Um, and I was just, there was a side of me that was like, I was like, no, like I, I, I mean, I know we're not that great friends, but this doesn't make sense to me. I was like, I feel like you're basically living in a life of punishment. Um, and I said, 
I don't know. I don't know how I can help, but like, if you want to find an apartment together, so your rent is cheaper. And then we ended up moving in together with another friend. But I remember just wanting to fight for her joy because I was like, none of these things, I mean, other than her work with our church doing kids stuff, I was like, none of these things are actually bringing you the joy that you're meant to have. And I felt pain, you know what I mean? Because she's such a lovely person and she gives so much to other people. She's always baking and like doing things that I don't know how she finds the time to do. And so I was like, no, dude, you can't, you know? So I think something I'm always willing to fight for is joy, whether it's my joy or the joy in others. That's awesome. And I, I don't think everyone would say that, to be honest. Mm. I think people would, you know, especially for, for others, but for you to say that that's something that you want to fight for, for, for people is pretty commendable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I asked someone else that same question the other day and they said hope. Ah, yeah. And so it's, it was interesting to me because I think it was kind of like along the same lines as you. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. In the sense of like, yeah, there's, they want people to know that there's something beyond Mm -hmm. what's here, what's here and now and what Mm -hmm. what they can see. Mm -hmm. What would you say you're most proud of having accomplished? Wow. Yeah. So that's a tough question. Um, I would say right now, I think, uh, I don't even know if it's an accomplishment, but I think doing what I'm doing now at this stage, I'm most proud of it because um, it's, it's a, it's a indication of overcoming very strong fears that silenced me for a long time, you know? Um, especially as a female, um, being single and, and like, there's certain things that I, I don't have checked off. Right. And so normally someone like me should not quote unquote, should not be doing what I'm doing. Right. I should be doing X. I should be doing Y Mm -hmm. at this particular stage in my life. So I think I'm most proud of myself for doing what I'm doing, but not from a place of wanting to rebel or like rage against any kind of societal machine, because that's not what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm most proud of myself for doing what I'm doing from a place of love, not from a place of fear, not from a place of anxiety, not from a place of, you know, strife and striving to try and get something under my belt, but I'm, I'm doing it because I was guided here because in 2013, I felt a very strong call to music. And then, you know, last year I recognized that it was reggae, you know? So I feel most proud that I went through a process um, and I can actually look back and see that process unfold. You know, um, a good friend of ours, Sam Picken, always says like, faith never makes sense looking forward, but when you look back, it all comes together. So I think I'm most proud of myself for being where I'm at. I'm not like hurting myself in the, pro- like, you know, I'm, I'm not like, depressed. I mean, I, you know, I get sad every so often, but like, I'm not, I'm not in a place of destruction. And I would, and I think the former me would have looked forward and saw this and been like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm really proud that I'm here and I'm not destructive towards myself. I'm not, you know, um, doing things to, to appease and suppress any pain. Like I'm not overly drinking. I'm not, you know, cause I would have thought that the struggle I've gone through would have brought me to, to certain habits. Right. I, you know, in my mind, I should be like still struggling with an eating disorder right now. Cause things that used to depress me that would cause me to want to eat. They don't do that anymore. So I think I'm just most proud that where I'm at right now, I'm doing everything out of love. Um, in hope, in faith. I mean, it's still tough. Like, I still have really bad days, but I'm definitely not where I thought I would be, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. I remember you telling me about living in Jamaica and some of the things that you went through before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, so to hear you kind of saying now that you are coming from a place of love and you are, um, you're addressing those things and addressing those fears, not letting them, um, take hold of you, but instead you kind of taking hold of them Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. amazing. Can you like, give us an example? You mentioned like you, you had struggled with an eating disorder, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but is there that or something else that you've been able to like navigate and Mm -hmm. say, okay, now that I'm back, I was refaced with this and this is how I've dealt with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. So um, I think the core of any issues I had the last time I was here was trying to navigate my why and navigate like the process of things working out for me, quote unquote. So when I moved back here, um, you know, I had just become like, I guess a Christian. And so I was, I was trying to do things the right way, quote unquote, <laughs> um, mm. lots of air quotes over here. So I was yeah. trying to do things what would be perceived as the right way. So that meant like trying to change how I dressed, changing like my friends, changing the places I went to, changing the projects I associated myself with. And so I was doing a lot of trying to shape a perfect image. And then what kept happening is the more I was trying to do the right thing, um, nothing was really working out for me, right? So am I working out meaning like I just wasn't progressing in the way I was hoping to? You know, I just felt very stagnant. I was very fearful of making certain decisions because I was afraid of how it would be perceived. And so all that did was cause different things to manifest in me. Like, you know, one of them was an eating disorder, which was just me suppressing um, my feelings and me just trying to cope with feeling like, no, you know, feeling like, well, look at this, like here I am finally becoming like a quote unquote good person and nothing's working out. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Like you try to be a good person and then things go downhill. Right. So I was struggling with a lot of that. I was struggling with feeling like, you know, um, I should be acting like most of the other girls here. I should be doing this, but I'm choosing not to. And still nobody's giving me opportunities and still I'm not being elevated in the way I would perceive myself to be. And like, I'm not respected or appreciated. And so I think what I fought through here a lot was like failure and expectations, like expectations that I, I would maybe thought people had of me. I don't know if they really did, you know, but like just walking through the streets and feeling like, oh, everyone's looking at me like, oh, she, she was so talented back in the day. And now she's like just regular or whatever. Or um, if only Naomi did things this way. Like, you know, I have all these voices that I used to just like feel like were coming at me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I started, in, I started in the public eye very early. Like I was 17, 16 when I was Miss Teen Jamaica. And so I developed like this whole brand around myself. And so it's like people would just look to me like, oh, one day she's going to be huge. She's going to be somebody one day. So the more I was not becoming somebody, the worse and worse I got emotionally. And all of it was attached to being here. So coming back here, um, you know, those things still come up, but because I know they're not true, I just don't, I just don't respond to them. Right. And I don't, and even like if I run into people and even conversations that people try to have with you, I just, I'm just at a place where I just don't care you know? And, um, so I just navigate myself out of those things, just recognizing that they were not, it was not helpful for me when I was, when I would succumb to that mindset and that, um, pattern of thinking, I was like, this is, this does not help me or anybody I'm meant to serve. So I just constantly choose not to, um, allow, allow those things to, to take hold in a way, but they still pop up. I'm not going to lie. Like it, it doesn't, those kinds of things don't fully disappear but it's more about like how you respond to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I can 100% agree with that. There are things that I will now have to deal with that. I'm like, I've dealt with this for like 10 years or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And how am I coming up against this now in a different yeah. way completely? Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes it's, you know, you think, oh, it's easier to, you know, move past. And, and there are times where it's like, okay, this is as strong and powerful as it was you know, when I was younger or facing something mm-hmm, different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's amazing that you are doing it and, and continuing to move forward anyways. And I think that, mm-hmm. I think as women, we probably perceive our lives um, so differently than everyone else perceives them. Yes. And so when we're doing things we're we're thinking that anyone looking from the outside in is probably perceiving it as one way. And internally we are struggling with something that others don't even know. know. Oh man, trust me. Whenever I get to share my story with people, they're like, what? I had no clue. You like, you're Naomi Cohen. Like, do you realize, like, do you know who you are? I'm like, what? Trust me. Every time I go in front of an audience, like to share with youth or whatever, or even just like have a one-on-one, people will be like, I had no clue. 
I had no clue. And it's funny because I don't think I was trying to necessarily fake anything. I was just, you know, moving, like always just trying to make, make it to the next day. But uh, yeah, like perception is one hell of a thing. So I just kind of tried to like function in such a way. I'm like, you know what? Like I might feel this way, but nobody has to, like nobody probably even feels the same. So I just like continue to ignore what I would call lies. Yeah. And I, I have to agree with you that I'm, I feel the same. And I often have people go, well, you've never, you've never experienced that. I'm like, oh, trust me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yes. And even as a coach and going through, um, like being able to coach women, you know, I probably am perceived one way, but I'll tell you what, it's a lot of what I'm able to coach people with and through is because I've actually gone through it. So it's not mm -hmm, like I mm -hmm. read it in a book mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. that I was like somehow magically know this information. It's a lot of it is because mm -hmm. I've had to experience it myself and I've had those limiting beliefs and I've, I've thought those things about uh, myself that were not true and had to, you know, reverse those patterns and reverse those things so that I can walk out what I'm supposed to walk out. So, and I think that probably there are more people that are like that than, you know, just have a supernatural type of confidence to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Supernatural indeed. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to give a piece of advice to a young woman starting out in her career, mm -hmm. whatever it is, whatever type of career she's in, creative, corporate, she wants to be uh, an artist, actor, mm -hmm. whatever. What would you say to her? Yeah, I would say um, it's okay to move on. So in, for me, in certain seasons, there's been times where I've stuck around in whether it's jobs or seasons or positions or areas of my life out of like this mindset of feeling like, oh, you're supposed to like thinking that I needed to do the right thing, quote unquote, in order to, to prove myself or prove that I can do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's okay to move on from a job environment that might be so toxic <clears throat> that like, it's not, not necessarily making you making you happy. Cause you can't like, not everything's going to make you happy. But like, if you're in a situation where it's literally showing you that you really should move on, it's okay to move on. Right. Like it's not gonna, you're not gonna like be, um, an unhirable person if you move on from something that was very negative, right? Um, I, I think also like it's okay to move on if, if what you studied in school is not necessarily what you realize you want to do. Like no one's gonna, no one's gonna be mad at you, right? Because like everything that you've done gets used in your life in some way, shape or form. That's one thing I would say. Um, and I would also say it's never too late. So uh, meaning there's not, there's no magic window of things happening and things working out. Right. Like I, I've, I've witnessed people like someone like myself. I thought the magic window was like the year after I graduated college was like when everything needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when it didn't, I stopped trying for like a good half of a year. I was like, okay, well maybe it's just not my destiny. So let me just take like a job in something else. Right. Or there's people that they're after college are so tired <laughs> They don't want to work. Um, and so they think that, you know, it's a time for them to be traveling and doing adventurous stuff. Like, okay, if you don't get to do your Euro trip right after college, like there's nothing wrong. Like you're not a failed millennial. You know, you can take trips throughout your career. You know, you can take vacation days and like visit different countries, but just because you didn't get to do it right after you graduated college doesn't mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or if you get married, it doesn't mean like your life is over. Like, your life should just start in a new way. Right. Just because you invited someone else into your journey doesn't mean that like your dreams shouldn't come alive. Those are some of the things I would say. Now, you mentioned like uh, different charities and I know that you have been doing some cool things in Jamaica. Can you tell us like what you have been involved mm -hmm. with there? There's a, an initiative I'm a part of here called We Transform. And what that is, is an initiative started by the Ministry of National Security here, like associated with the government. And um, what I like about this program is that, yeah, it's youth focused, that's one, but they're focusing on youth that are enrolled in juvenile correctional facilities. 
and they're creating ways and platforms for people to empower and encourage and mentor youth that um, basically are in juvie, right? And why, I mean, why I feel passionate about it is because it's all about second chances. And I'm in a period in my life where I'm basically getting a second chance, right? A second chance at music, a second chance at Jamaica. And um, I cannot imagine what it must feel like to be that young, to have made such mistakes that you would, you know, have to be taken away from society. So I can imagine that in the mindset of someone that young who's done something wrong, you might feel like this is my trajectory. This is just who I am. Like if I, if I, if I ended up in juvie, I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to be this person for the rest of my life. Game over. Right. I would not really have much hope for myself. So I, I, I'm really grateful. They asked me to be a mentor and ambassador because I just feel strongly about second chances in, in whatever capacity or context. So, so that's one of the things I'm, I'm publicly involved with, but outside of that, you know, I'm kind of always in some way, shape or form empowering others, you know, like two nights ago, I got to perform on a charity concert where I, um, performed with a lot of other established musicians in Jamaica and we raised funds for hurricane uh, victims in the Caribbean, you know, at, at my event in Toronto, where you were able to come out to, I partnered with um, the Sandals Foundation in raising funds for hurricane relief, just because the hurricanes devastated the Caribbean islands so much that, I mean, like they need all the help they can get, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And one of my personal mandates is to use your voice and to speak and to sing and to give. And so I'm just grateful that I have small opportunities to be able to use my voice, whether it's my speaking voice or my singing voice, being, being able to use it to, to serve the needs of others. And it's been very seamless. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's been one of a very refreshing part of my season is that there, the last time I lived here, as I said, there was a lot of striving and trying. So I was running around, exhausting myself, creating initiatives, you know, trying to find ways to do good and like, you know, serve the lesser, like people in need. And I was always trying, like hustling so hard to, to do good. Whereas now I found that those opportunities have come to me without me having to, to create them. And not right. to say it's been easier, but it's been more seamless. And it's just brought me a lot of peace because it's like, okay, well, am I coming close to my sweet spot now? Because the last time I lived there, I was running around town and I was tired all the time. Mm-hmm right? Because I was always trying to do something else, always trying to like add to my thing to prove that like, listen, look, I'm great. Like, I'm really good. I'm really great. Whereas now like people have just seen me and they're like, Hey, I think you'd be really cool to do this. Would you want to be a part of it? You know? So, and I think that comes from maybe the authenticity I've finally pulled out of myself because I'm, I'm, I've, I've stopped trying to be this perfect, perfect um, version of myself. Cause I realized that even as a Christian, like there's no, there's no, there's no um, prescription, right? There's no like standard of like who to be. You do really just have to be you and continue to let God shape you, exactly. right? But before I was trying to shape myself for God and God was like, dude, that's not the way I wanted it to go because like you're just stressing yourself out. I was constantly stressed out, right? So I think now that I've come back to my authentic self, let go of a lot of the, like, the black and white way of seeing things and like allowing myself to explore gray areas um, I've just found that people have now received me in a, in a different way. And I think it's cause I'm not bringing, I'm not bringing that black and whiteness to the table anymore. And so they feel more welcomed around me cause I'm not trying to, to, to be perfect anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I didn't realize that that would have such a significant impact until this season. Well, or, or even like, not just this season, but even like over the last year, like the more I've just become more authentic and like released what I thought my brand should be and just been who I was in work, even in my last job, like those things, I've had more of an impact on people than I've ever had before. And by on people, I mean like it could be one or two people, not necessarily like, you know, a huge crowd, but just seeing how people have felt impacted by just my friendship is crazy. And I haven't tried or strived to be, be that person. I've just been me. Um, and that's been really like a huge, huge, huge refreshing point. So even like getting these opportunities to serve, because like I've always loved serving, right? You know that, like you've yeah. seen me. 
Um, but there was a time when I was really trying to serve, right? Um, and I think that just didn't help my body. It didn't help my health. And, but now it's just been really, 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 really like refreshing to be able to just do it because people see that in me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, definitely a difference when you're serving from a place of authenticity and where you are, it just feels good and natural and right. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And I'm, yeah. Yeah. And I can see that for you right now. And I just have to say like, just watching your journey has been so, so, so very inspiring to me. And I'm so proud of you, like to oh, watch you uh, come alive and watch you uh, really make an impact in this industry in a new, fresh way has been mm -hmm. really, really encouraging. So your new single it's so awesome. I love it. It's like one of those songs once once you hear it, you cannot stop singing it. Things you say you love. Yay. And um so where can people uh go to listen to that and how can they connect with you? Yeah. So um I feel like I'm one of the easiest people to find online. It creeps me out sometimes. Uh, there are not many very Naomi Collins around the world. So my single is on every streaming platform and music platform that you could access. So, you know, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. I have it up on YouTube. If you use Tidal or there's another platform called Deezer, um, every possible musical like platform, even like um, Google Play, you can find the song. Um, and then in terms of finding me, I'm most active on Instagram right now. But I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on I'm on um, Facebook as well. Like I have a page on there. So it's just my first and last name, N-A-O-M-I-C-O-W-A-N, just Naomi Cowan. And yeah, find me there. Um, and I would also encourage people, like I created this hashtag in 2013 when I started to teach myself how to play the guitar, when I felt the call to music, to songwriting and music. One of the biggest ways I conquered my fear was, was actually by putting videos out on Instagram of like covers and at that time, Instagram only had 15 second videos. And so I created this hashtag, Naomi Sings. So that's just like N-A-O-M-I-S-I-N-G-S. And I just started using that hashtag on every video because I was like, one day, like one day it's going to like show, tell a story. And so I use that now on anything associated with my music. But like, I would encourage anyone that's even going through something to go as far back as you can. There's a probably close to 200 now of them. Wow. Um, or some to, yeah, posts. I may not all be videos, but some of them are pictures and stuff. But just to encourage you that like, you know, um, I, I am someone that literally like didn't feel worthy of, of her calling, literally, you know. And um, I just started with a small hashtag. And now I, I, you know, I'm able to perform in front of people that I know and, and people who've always known me as a different person and like shocking. Like so many people are so shocked. <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, so yeah, I would say go through that and check that out, even for just for some inspo. And, you know, you'll just see how even my voice has grown or even how like my look has changed and like those things, all of those things add up. Right. Um, yeah. So that's, so that's how you can find me. Yeah. And really guys do check that out because you will be very encouraged. And, and Naomi, how much do I love that you're like, okay, I have 200 videos there. And you get to see the progression because most yeah. people, what they would do is they would be like, yep, you're going to, there's going to be three videos on there. They're going to be my latest ones that are produced and yeah. everything else is gone. No. Yeah. No, I, I didn't, I wanted to keep that there even for myself Yeah, too. Right. And it's because the journey of our lives is that mm -hmm. it's the progression of things. And so the fact that you are, allowing people to see the journey and see the progression and not shy away from it and pretend like, Oh yeah, you know, I came out of here right out of the gate. Perfect. You know, like, yeah, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's totally, um, just a prog, a progression is the word I'm looking for. It's a progression of, of having to move through different, um, phases of life. So that's amazing. Yeah. I'm so, so glad that we got to connect today and, that we got to chat and share. And so thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being the brave you, like Andrew, like you're awesome. And I, um, 
I often do this weird thing where like I try to put myself in people's shoes and like experience like when I know a little bit about their journey and I'm like so like how I admire people is by understanding like their walls and like the walls they had to jump over and the hurdles they had to go through and things like that so yeah I want to thank you for being the brave you because oh, thank you you're brave man that's a huge compliment. I appreciate it. Very, very Yeah. Good. Yeah. Wow. I just feel energized having spoken to Naomi. And she always has a way of turning the tables to encourage someone else. She's definitely one of a kind. So if you want to hear Naomi's new single or connect with her, then head over to thecouragecast.com and make sure to check out her Instagram and her hashtag Naomi Sings for her latest videos. Well, thank you for joining me today. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. The Courage Cast is produced by Stephen Crilly.